0: Welcome to the village. Today I have Chelsea, a friend and colleague of mine. Hey Chelsea. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely, pleasure. So Chelsea is a colleague of mine, like I said, she's a physician assistant. Well Chelsea, why don't you tell everybody what you do?
1: Sure. So I have the fortune of working in family medicine, which is how I know Dr. Majid, And I also have the unique ability to be part of an antibiotic stewardship program from the outpatient perspective, which is why we're here today.
0: Thank you, Chelsea. That is definitely one of the major reasons we're here today to talk about antibiotic stewardship. Because you are part of this program, Chelsea is able to educate us today about what antibiotic stewardship is what the problems are, and what we're looking at in terms of why it's important to be careful about when and how we use antibiotics. right. What is antibiotic
1: stewardship? Absolutely. So antibiotic stewardship is the study of reducing unnecessary antibiotic use. And what I mean by that is there's a number of different diagnoses or clinical conditions that we have overprescribed or used the wrong sorts of antibiotics for historically. We are now looking at how we can reduce that so as to avoid these superbugs, which are very multi-drug resistant organisms.
0: Why does overuse of antibiotics cause a resistance?
1: So bacteria are very, very smart, and so are viruses. And unfortunately, when we give them lots of tools for their toolbox, they have a unique ability to learn new tricks. And when they do, they can actually outdo our antibiotics, and they no longer work for that condition. So if I were to, say, give somebody amoxicillin unnecessarily for, say, an ear infection or for a presumed strep throat that actually was caused by a different organism altogether, the other organisms in your body can actually learn traits of that amoxicillin and learn how to escape it.
0: In essence, we're Kind of giving them away our secrets when we don't actually need them. But when we need them, then we need them.
1: Why give them the treasure map, right?
0: Right, right. That is such a great way of looking at it. What is the goal um, of antibiotic stewardship? So what should we be looking for and doing for our patients?
1: So ultimately, the goal is to make sure that anytime we use any antimicrobial agent...
0: So what is the goal with antibiotic stewardship, and how can we help our
1: patients? Sure. So I think our goal ultimately is to make sure that anytime we're prescribing antibiotics or any antimicrobial agents, we're doing them appropriately. So for the proper diagnoses, that we've done the appropriate workup to make sure that that's what's the right decision in the first place. And that we're following the guidelines that are set forth by major governing bodies, such as the CDC and other research organizations, to make sure that we're doing our best for our patients.
0: It's usually like the culture, right? So when I say culture in the little petri dish, what
1: microbe is grown? And then we okay.
0: can figure out exactly what bacteria that patient has. Yes. In essence, as soon as we know what's growing, give them that sensitive antibiotic.
1: Right, right. Give them the antibiotic at that point that's appropriate for that culture. So rather than reflexively, say you have a patient who comes in and they've got a sore throat. You know, maybe 20 years ago, if rapid strep wasn't available, what would we do? Okay, well, you know, we use criteria, right? Certain criteria. But say somebody was kind of in that big in-between phase, right? And we decided, you know what? We're going to clinically treat them with amoxicillin while we wait for the throat culture to come back. Throat culture comes back and it says normal flora or normal bacteria that live on our bodies. Have we done the patient a service by treating that pharyngitis that was likely viral in the first place, right? Probably not. Whereas now we have the ability to do rapid straps, but also to send out for culture, And if a rapid strep is negative, I mean, I'll I'll ask you clinically, would you treat that patient? Would you prescribe antibiotics for a rapid strep with a throat culture pending?
0: Yeah, right. And it depends on the situation. Like if I really, I'm really suspecting strep, perhaps, but stop it as soon as that culture is negative or just wait for that culture to come back because it's not a danger to the patient to not be on antibiotics for something like a
1: strep right away. And, you know, fascinatingly, one of the things they're looking at in clinical research right now is duration of antibiotics. So that's something that's evolving as well. You know, I wish we had Gabe Cecil here because he's a phenomenal clinical pharmacist, mm-hmm. and he can tell you... Maybe you know he'll be on an episode endless. next. You should absolutely reach out. He right. would love it. Um, but he's been looking specifically into that because he does more of the inpatient components, so you see an awful lot of increased long term antibiotic use that isn't actually necessary. And the Joint Commission does watch that.
0: Yeah, and the guidelines for like you said, the governing bodies and like the American Academy of Pediatrics yep. do encourage less as possible. Yep. Because besides making the antibiotic resistant, we worry about side effects, allergic reactions. Yes. I guess that's the other issue too when people think they have an allergic reaction to an antibiotic and they wanna be switched to another one, it's not really the best practice to assume they have an allergy that they may not have,
1: right? right? That's correct. So one of the big ones that we hear about is penicillin allergies. And clinically, I hear a lot, well, I'm not really sure. My mom said I had a rash once. Right. And, you know, rashes can happen for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe that patient had mono and not, you know, strep throat. And so it was a whole different type of rash, right? Or any
0: other viral rash. Exactly,
1: exactly. So one of the things that we talk about with patients is, well, let's have you tested to see if that's a real allergy. And we're very fortunate that we have so many immunologists. To work really well with that
0: mm-hmm. exactly and some things that are just not an allergy but are actually expected side effect yeah. with an antibiotic that you're probably going to get with a lot of antibiotics you're going to possibly feel nauseous yeah, have diarrhea Yep. Yeah. those are things that we could help patients with yeah. um to overcome with diarrhea taking a probiotic eating extra yogurt yeah. Um, as opposed to really thinking that that's that's not an allergy, that's a side effect that we can help. I I just want to clear up for people who are listening why there's times they don't need an antibiotic at all. Because an antibiotic is looked at by patients as a medicine that's going to make them feel better. And there are certain cases it will, in certain cases it absolutely won't. And why is that? What is an antibiotic? What does it treat? And why is it not always helpful?
1: Yeah. So an antibiotic is a type of medication that treats bacterial infections, and I, I can't highlight that enough. Um, unfortunately, not all organisms that make you sick are bacteria. There can be fungal infections, there can be viral infections, and neither one is well treated by an antibiotic because it's the wrong type of medicine. We do have other medications that may treat those infections, but oftentimes, especially in the setting of an upper respiratory infection or the common cold, those just have to run their course.
0: Because most of the time it's a virus, yep. correct? And yep. Yep. why we don't have a similar drug for a virus is because viruses just replicate too quickly to really catch them at that time, the way we can catch a bacteria. Yep.
1: Bacteria don't evolve as much. They tend to stay more true to who they are, so to speak. Not to say that they can't adapt, but viruses are much more savvy at changing things up, which can make it very, very hard to find a drug that will adequately treat it.
0: Bacteria, actually, they're a different type of microbe. Like when we talk about microorganisms, which are basically organisms you can only see in a microscope, there are several kinds, like you had mentioned, the fungi viruses, bacteria, there's parasites. So bacteria are much bigger than viruses, and they have, besides replicating slower, they also have cell walls around them, That yes. and they have components that scientists have been able to track down and target with antimicrobials, and, and to, or also known as antibiotics. Yes. So viruses just don't have those components. Nope. They have different components. And they've been, some of, some of the viruses we have been able to track down
1: with antivirals, but those aren't the common cold viruses. No. Those are very specific viruses. Correct. You're looking more at hepatitis, you know, viruses. You're looking at HIV or AIDS. You're looking at herpes viruses. Those are really the ones that we've been able to, you know, target easily. Yes,
0: and which is great. I mean, these are great strides in medicine. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we didn't have these medications, people would die of things like, you know, the common bacteria that we treat today. Yep. Especially sepsis. Yes. But now, unfortunately, with antibiotic-resistant bacteria, the statistics show that about 2 million people in the U.S. are infected with antibiotic-resistant bacteria a year that used to be treated with antibiotics, and now those bugs that they have are resistant. And at least about 20,000 people a year will die with an infection that couldn't be treated because we now don't have the antibiotic that previously we had. So it's a real issue causing real problems with people dying. It's not just like a minor issue, this is becoming a major issue. Do you think it's major enough where we could potentially run out of more than half our antibiotics
1: one day? Well, I think it's certainly possible, you know, Two of the infections that I think about notably are urinary tract infections with uh, multi-drug resistant organisms. Those lead to increased lengths of stay in the hospitals, and they also are very, very difficult to treat. And again, to your point, can cause sepsis, which ultimately can cause death, especially if you cannot treat it. And pneumonia, Klebsiella, is is famous for becoming multi-drug resistant. That was in the news probably three years ago now, um, is really making an emergence. So, you know, certainly... The more of these organisms that develop, the more likely it is that we will run out of appropriate treatment to, to help in these cases, do I expect that this should cause widespread panic and fear? No. You know, hopefully scientists will continue to be ahead of the game. Um, And hopefully through, you know, our responsibility and our work in clinical practice, we'll be able to, you know, use stewardship appropriately and reduce the unnecessary use and and improve this.
0: Especially with providers like you who are on top of it and part of these committees that monitor these things and and help other providers like me to manage this and kind of be like a a double check, like, oh, Dr. Majeev, like how many did you over-prescribe? It? So it's thanks to
1: providers like you that are have programs like this for us. In medicine, one of the things that I think matters the most is the ability to communicate with each other mm-hmm. for the best of the patient. And yeah. having these facilities and these, these committees to really look at prescribing use and have a reasonable conversation with your peer about, hey, you know, I see why you're doing this. I, you know, I, I absolutely see where you're coming from. Did you consider something else? Did you mm-hmm. consider this? Maybe this is something that, you know, you just had had crossed your path, right? Mm-hmm. Education is so important because medicine is ever-evolving. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And one provider can't know everything. You're sure. con- it's constantly evolving what well, our knowledge is evolving, how we treat things, is evolving diseases. Let's sure. look at COVID-19. That's a new one. Sure is. Not exactly. But it is a new version of it. Why do sometimes providers
1: overuse antibiotics? What are the reasons? I think there's a number of pressures. You know, I will say, I think in large part, public perception that antibiotics will treat everything has led to a lot of pressure on healthcare providers to prescribe. So you have a patient who comes in for, say, an upper respiratory infection and right out of the gate, they're saying, well, I really need a Z-Path. You know, I, right. I know I need a Z-Pack, I need knowing a Z-pad. Such and such
0: friend had the same symptoms, Correct. got a
1: Z-Pack. And they're much better now, right. right? When in fact it could have been a function of time as opposed to the antibiotic itself. I think public pressure is a big contributor. I think public education is another, you know, we need to do our due diligence to take the time with folks and explain why that's not the right choice for them and what risks that has. And unfortunately in medicine these days, you know, that's, that's not always everybody's ability in practice. Time is precious as patients feel and know as well. Um, and we really need to make an effort to try to spend that extra time with them to explain what their condition is and why we're not treating it in that way.
0: My experience with its parents that I'm speaking with, for me to try to gauge what it is that they have in their mind um, and ask them what their expectation is because many parents say, well, I don't want an antibiotic for my yes. child. And many patients come in thinking an antibiotic's going to cure yeah. everything. So to gauge what their thought is and why, and then have that conversation with what the options are and why an antibiotic is best or not best in that situation. You know, parents feel, and all patients probably feel like they're doing something, like something's getting done and maybe give an alternative of something else that can be done. Yes. You know that I... Like my natural medicines yep. at times. Yep. So in particular, I do see a lot of common cold. Yep. To then explain to parents that this is a viral illness. This is the common cold. An antibiotic won't help unless it turns into that situation a week or two down the line. But right now, what we're dealing with is a cold or another Mm -hmm. viral infection and in that case i love that eucalyptus oil the peppermint oil what a great way to decrease a cough irritation spreading it on their chest opening up their airways so they can sleep better at night with less mucus clogging up their airways good Um, steam baths humidified
1: air you know Mm -hmm. some of the conservative measures that we can take and in the setting of a common cold you know, using something like zinc, which we know does help Absolutely. to reduce that viral replication, right? Absolutely. For yeah. appropriate populations. In peds, it's a little different, obviously. but <laughs>
0: Right. And it depends on the age groups. Correct. Most babies can handle some of the, the natural remedies yeah. very well in a bath or, you know, on their chest. And they make, um, there's a Zarbee's brand, C-A-R-B-E-E, S. Mm-hmm. They have all age ranges, all natural medicines age-appropriate with the eucalyptus and the honey and cinnamon and all these wonderful things that are actually medicinal. Yeah. Did you want to give some examples of commonly mistreated
1: diseases or pathogens? Sure. So I know we talked a little bit about um, pharyngitis or sore throat strep, right? That's a big one. There's a large number of these infections that are actually caused by different types of viruses. I would say that if you have the ability to do a rapid strap so that you have that kind of baseline that often can help guide your decision making, right? You also want to look for fevers. You want to look for sore throat, but with that kind of pussy stuff that you see on the back of the tonsils Mm -hmm. and the absence of the cough, because those can be really clinically helpful in determining, is this a different viral infection or is this maybe something that, you know, is more like a strap? Um, Patients often have a prodromal, or I mean they have symptoms prior to the onset of the sore throat, often headache, I'm sure you see that, diarrhea, those kinds of things. Those are a little more nonspecific. They can also go with viral infections, but it can help guide your decision making. A throat culture too can give you a ton of information because even if the rapid strep is negative, it doesn't mean that you're not going to still have a bacterial infection but it could be a different type of bacteria. And a throat culture can help you decide that a little bit better as well. And thereby guide which antibiotic you may or may not want to use. Another big one is otitis media or ear infections. And I mean, internal ear infections, not swimmer's ear. I would say that this one has become the most controversial because, you know, as babies teeth and whatnot, we see them tugging on their ears. I'm sure you see this too. Mm -hmm. Lots of tugging. Oh yeah, and parents come in. I know she needs an antibiotic Mm -hmm. You know, she's tugging on her ears. I'm sure she's got an ear infection. But, you know, we look beyond that. When we're evaluating a patient, we're looking for the signs of, again, that pusy type material behind the eardrum. We're looking for redness and bulging of that eardrum. We're looking for the evidence that potentially that eardrum could rupture, right? Fevers. Those are some of the, you know, diagnostic tools that we use to determine if a patient does or does not need an antibiotic. A bright red ear is not something that we typically will treat. But what we may say to you is, I hear you. She's obviously not feeling good. Let's try some of these conservative measures. And I want to see her back in a few days and Mm -hmm. see where things are. If things are progressing or if something's changing, call me and we'll talk about it and and
0: we'll go from there. Follow-up is really important. Absolutely. communicate with your provider, I'm still feeling sick. Yes. I'm feeling worse. And when you're still feeling sick or worse, what are the symptoms? Yes. If you still have a fever, if you have a worsening headache, you're getting thicker green mucus. Yes. You may now have a bacterial infection. Correct. A bacterial sinus infection or a bacterial ear infection. But if your cough is still there, coughs are very irritating. Yes. Antibiotics are not the treatment
1: for a cough. Correct. Say it with me. <laughs> Absolutely. Post infectious cough is not treated with an antibiotic. Right. Absolutely. It's not going to help because why do coughs happen? It's a, it's a direct positive feedback cycle. So if you think about it, you're coughing to eliminate something, right? But as you cough, you create inflammation. Well, when you create inflammation, it makes you cough. It just keeps going, 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 right? So the goal is to open up those airways, try to treat through those conservative measures that we did. Right, and allow time for the inflammation to resolve, and thereby to have the cough resolve. Yeah, so it's
0: mainly a function of time. Yep. Again, those natural treatments, like I said, peppermint, eucalyptus. Yep. Mucinex is a good medicine. Yep. For yep. cough staying hydrated, because if you do have those bits of mucus in you, if they're thick, they're going to be harder to get out of you. Correct. So if you drink a lot of water,
1: they'll be more loose, easier to cough it out, so there's less of an irritation to cough. Yes, and definitely sticking with decaffeinated things like water, right, or decaffeinated tea with honey, something along those lines. Come on,
0: Chelsea, that's hard for me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, as we're sitting here drinking coffee, exactly. right? Exactly.
0: Of course. Of course. Well, God willing, we don't have a cough, and then we'd have to switch it up. Um, That's right. But, yeah, absolutely, like lemon, honey, yes. honey is good for a cough. Of course, there's your other reasons for a cough. Like if it's post-infectious, this is what we're referring to now. Yes. If you're an asthmatic or you have allergies, yes. or maybe it's not because you're sick at all and you have acid reflux. These are all different issues. Yeah. So give as much information to your provider as possible, but if you've been sick, You'll expect that irritating cough.
1: Yep, yeah, and even you know, in, in adult medicine, keep in mind too, medications may cause cough. ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers are known to periodically cause cough. So understanding that your medication list may be something you want to bring up with your provider can yeah. be helpful. Yeah.